Okay. Okay. So hello, everyone, and welcome to Arch Enemies. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Smith, and I'm here with... I'm Chris Yuri. We are going to be talking about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, and we are very fortunate to have a wonderful guest with us, Fran Wilde. Hello. It is so great Hello. to be here. Thank you for thank you for inviting me to come to the Shire. No, please. Oh, I actually arrived in the Shire through a wardrobe. No? Well, no. Yes. It sounds it, yes. like you've crossed the streams like Ghostbusters. <laughs> and now the podcast is going to explode. The Shire. We have animals that are trying Lewis. to complain to the elves about their broken swords. And somebody's got a whole bunch of rings, and it's confusing. <laughs> and there's a very attractive fawn that everyone loves so much, who might be, be Professor X. <laughs> that is uh, to be honest. If you have not heard about my ultra favorite um, C.S. Lewis adaptation that's on Ao3, I will tell you about that at the end of the show. Oh, wonderful. So that means you have to listen to the end of the show. So Frank can tell I us about it. for this delightful yep. treat. Yep. So now before we jump into unraveling uh, this history and the discussion here of these two, uh, there's something like we like to ask every guest. What is your pettiest writer rivalry? You don't have to name names. Doesn't have to be a person you know. You know, for example, I still think about the creative writing professor in my undergrad who hated all my stories. Now I have books published. Where are you now? <laughs> so who's uh so so what's the deal, Fran? Who, who's uh, your who's your rival <laughs> that you can name? <laughs> yeah, it can be uh, it can be it can, it can be somebody that you just uh, like a a literary figure that you you definitely would have beef with. Like in episode one, Farah had one with Mark Twain for insulting Jane Austen, and so it could be anything. Yeah, I have I have literary beef with John Milton, writer of of original young adult biblical fanfic um with paradise lost but you know guy gets thrown out of his dad's house builds a whole city an outrage outrage city to you know say i'll show you dad it's just a whole thing anyway um i just i I have beef with him because he got away with such bad behavior and everybody's like oh john milton um but no the 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 rivalry Thing I'm not always a big fan of just because I lose sight of the why and the why is like writing writing great stories right but the one oh Luna is here by the way my dog Luna is is my co my co-podcast pilot today and she might have some rivalries but the big one for me is a long long while back I was uh, workshopping a story and someone who is delightful and I like very much gave me some criticism that was was tough and ended it with that will never be published in analog. Mm-hmm. And analog, if you know, is a hard science fiction magazine. And at the time I was pretty darn unpublished. I think I published a couple of short stories. So that stung. And um, the implication was I had no idea how to write science. And I'd been writing science for a long time. And I realized later that my rival was telling me not that I didn't know how to write science, but I hadn't convinced them that the story was interesting enough to follow the science. And when I went back and yes, when I went back and revised it, um, <laughs> the 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 cool thing was the story got better. So rivals can actually make your fiction better and that person was absolutely right by the way that story did not get published in analog because i sold it to asimov's first yeah (laughs) that's right i like that ending and i also like that message because i feel like that's a big one for this uh entire episode that your rivals can can lift you up definitely they're kind of like a flywheel of spite Flywheel of spite. I was going to say a smackdown of uplifting. <laughs> smackdown <laughs> of uplifting. I feel like flywheel of spite is like the name of the episode. That's that's that that is excellent. So yeah, so there are a number of fantastic resources for this episode, pulled together by Dr. Tim Schmidt, librarian of chaos and researcher of elder tomes, uh, including Tolkien, a biography by Humphrey Carpenter, Tolkien and the Not Great. Oh no, Tolkien and the Great War. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tolkien's not-so-secret vice, Tolkien's languages, uh, The Letters of J.R.R. Tolkien by George Allen and Unwin, C.S. Lewis and Mrs. Janie Moore by James O'Fee, C.S. Lewis and the Search for Rational Religion by John Beverslius, A Life by Alistair McGrath, and some of C.S. Lewis's own works, including Surprised by Joy, The Shape of My Early Family, and Near Christianity. So there's a I lot noticed here. A lot of research, and, and I'm impressed. I noticed that J.R.R. Tolkien, you, you big rivalry jerk, is not on here. That's a famous one. <laughs> that is a famous one. <laughs> so there, I just, yeah, I there's a lot here. I would read it. <laughs> I would read it. It's written in Elvish. Oh, yes, no. <laughs> so there's a lot here, uh, including some academic and pop culture articles that we'll chat about throughout. Uh, after all, these two writers are among some of the most academically researched and discussed genre fiction writers of our time. Uh, and their works have created massive franchises that still permeate pop culture to this day. Movies, television shows, video games, radio shows, stage production, uh, all that stuff goes on and on. Uh, but how did these two of the most well-known fantasy writers of our time find themselves breaking apart? Uh, in what Timory calls a split not unlike the friends in Banshees of Excuse Irishman. us. We're very sorry. Luna's going outside now. Goodbye, <laughs> oh, Luna. Luna. I have treats in my pocket uh, to keep her quiet. And she has discovered <laughs> that, that if you bark and are then quiet, then you get a treat, which is counterintuitive to what I want her to do. Uh, so apparently well, listen, I am this... her treat rival. <laughs> listen, this she is a is... friendly podcast. We, we are, oh, yeah. We are never going to be upset about that. Just wait <laughs> until I bring a big parrot into the recording booth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the mess. Oh, uh, so these two UK bros who enjoyed nothing more than having a pint with their boys stop being buds. Uh, and a rift that's caused by one's rising fame, uh, their differing interpretations of Christianity, and a wedge created by a new writer friend. Uh-oh. Sounds like a new friend. Always a new friend in the mix. Uh, <laughs> so to kick it off, we're going to talk about Tolkien for a bit before we get into Lewis, and then we will dig into just what happened to these two. So born in January of 1892, in what was then the Orange Free State in Africa, Tolkien came from a middle-class family. As a baby, he was bitten by a large baboon spider, uh, and also, separately, taken overnight by a servant, but he was returned. Now, if you listen to our last episode, you may notice a trend here in authors getting terrifyingly wounded as little kids, and somehow becoming wildly prolific. And apparently being kidnapped. Kidnapped. Yes, we add kidnap to it. Is this what has to happen to, to get success? No, no, we're not encouraging writers to go through <laughs> serious trauma in order to create things. Okay, good. Good, good, good. So his family moves to England at age three, uh, but his father died before he could join the rest of them and move in uh, with his mother's parents. Uh, their area later inspired a lot of locations uh, in his stories. Uh, he is known to his family as, well, actually, so what is J.R.R. Tolkien's actual name? Well, according to the joke you wrote earlier, it was Gilkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien, which rolls off the tongue. I am sorry for that ineffective introduction. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like it. I'm going to stick with it. Is that the? Is that his real name? No, his real name is uh, Ronald. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, but his full name, despite Chris's uh, roasting here, my, my bad joke, is John Ronald Rule Tolkien. That sounds kind of like Rolkin. Yeah, it's almost there. Rolkin. Okay. <laughs> so our buddy Ronnie here is homeschooled. Uh, and what his mother quickly discovers is that he is brilliant. Uh, at age four, he is proficient As in mothers tend to do. They do. You pick up on these things. <laughs> so unlike H.G. Wells, who we covered in the last episode, uh, who adored Robert Louis Stevenson and whose works would influence uh, the adventure stories he would one day tell, Ronnie... Okay, I'm going to stop calling him that. It's not the same. Like, when we called H.G. Wells Birdie, I thought it was funny, but I don't, I don't know if it works with Tolkien. Um, uh, Tolkien's too um, stuffy. Yeah, He's, he, he Like, when you say J.R.R. Tolkien, you think of uh, tweed jackets and pipes. Uh, yes. I think about the professor who, like, gives you a piece of literary fiction and is like, this will be good for you. But you know that professor hasn't read that book? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, but Tolkien, he's not a fan. He's not a fan of uh, Stevenson. Uh, he also didn't particularly love other popular stories at the time, like the Pied Piper and Alice in Wonderland. Um, instead, he's drawn to the works of fantasy authors like George MacDonald and Andrew Lang and series of fairy books. Uh, these would become wildly important to his later writings. Fran, I have to ask you, what books were you drawn to that inspired your early writing? Oh, my gosh. Um, Surprise question. I, mean, I, <laughs> I think a lot about the Phantom Tollbooth, but that oh. was a big one because it was it's a it's got a road trip in it. The characters just amazingly bored and then meets all these incredible characters along the way. And there are some killer puns, which I just love. So that was one <laughs> of the first. Um, and oh. then Natalie Babbitt's Tuck Everlasting, oh, which I absolutely love that story. I love that. I love that. So um, so with our buddy Tolkien here, tragedy sort of continues to follow him. Uh, his mother's family cuts them off when she converts to Catholicism. Uh, and then she dies when he's only 12 years old. Uh, and he's taken under the wing of a family friend and priest, Father Francis. Now, it is impossible to talk about Tolkien and Lewis without discussing their religious upbringing. It has a direct effect on the two of them and the way they fall out and the way their writing comes out. Um, and well, this is this is almost where it starts. Uh, Tolkien described his guardian, the priest, as a uh, upper class Welsh Spaniard Tory uh, and seemed to some just a pottering old gossip. He was and he was not. I first learned charity and forgiveness from him, and in the light of it, pierced even the liberal darkness out of which I came, knowing more about Bloody Mary than the mother of Jesus, who was never mentioned except as an object of wicked worship by the Romanists. But like a lot of these authors whose early lives are marred by tragedy or physical ailments, he presses forward, uh, and we start to see even more of the man he would become starting from here. Uh, having shown that ability for languages all those years ago, he dives in and starts studying Latin and Anglo-Saxon as a kid. His cousins create new languages altogether, uh, Animalaic, Nevbash, and his first fully constructed language is Neferin. Uh, little known fact, he also invented Klingon. <laughs> Wait, no, I might have gotten my my creators. Back. I was going to so. say, yeah, I'm... Mm, mm. But mastering languages and... In, Inventing languages. What was something you were trying to master as a kid? Me? Yeah. I mean, how to make friends? <laughs> I, was like, I was working <laughs> on the basic stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I was mostly trying to figure out how to not fall over. <laughs> <laughs> Still working trying on not that, Chris. Fall over. Still. <laughs> it's a struggle daily. Yeah. Oh, so in 1911, our, our, our precocious little boy uh, starts a secret society with his friends at King Edward's school that he dubbed the Tea Club and Barovian Society, who would remain his friends for years and years, inspiring him to write poetry. And that same year, he travels to Switzerland, which would heavily influence the plot lines in Lord of the Rings. Uh, he goes to Exeter College at Oxford, graduates with honors in 1915, and then to quote Futurama, war were declared. And he also war. fell in love. He's dabbling in poetry, he's being inspired to travel, he's experimenting with language, he's hanging out with secret societies of fellow teens where they're also writing poetry. Uh, I would read this YA book, Fran. I don't know about you, but like... You know, I think it would be really cool. And um, also, I suspect that they were sort of each other's flywheels like they were they were power empowering each other to be more yeah. and more creative which is so cool i'd like love to see dead poet society but like remade and it's tolkien just like running around with all <laughs> dead fantasy oh, society yes <laughs> i totally <laughs> see it so um so at 16 he meets uh edith mary brett uh, the love story with these two is like the stuff of legends, right? It's it's not one without bumps, just like all marriages. Um, only one of these bumps is named C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, but they loved each other, right? In fact, Edith is the inspiration for... Fran, can you pronounce uh, the, the, I... the elvish names? Luthien. <laughs> Luthien? Um, the Luthien? Elvish, 
uh, yeah, I can't do the Cimmerillion pronunciations. I was always very <laughs> phonetic when I read the Cimmerillion. But uh, Luthien is the Elvish princess, and I think that Edith was his. He wrote that Edith was his Luthien. Yeah, I believe it's actually on their headstones. No, really? Yeah, I believe it is. Oh, my heart. Oh, and, my goodness. And Arwen is supposed to be sort of a descendant of Luthien, Baron, a descendant oh. of Baron of Luthien. So, yeah, if you if you think Arwen is is amazing, imagine what what J.R. Tolkien thought of his wife. I know. How it's so cool sweet. is that? Oh, oh wonderful. Goodness. Oh God. So, so when I, you first meet Edith. Oh, no, go ahead, Fred. <laughs> uh, no, I have a little factoid, which is that a yes. couple of years ago, I got to see the Tolkien exhibit of all of his drawings and some of the doodles and Christmas cards and things that he drew for his family, including for Edith, are just the most beautiful things ever. It's really wonderful. Oh, also, fun fact, Tolkien could not draw trees. They just really? could not could not it was like you know some people can draw horses and some people can't tolkien trees mm -hmm. i i bet you c.s lewis could draw trees just another rivalry just another secretly <laughs> was the rivalry about who could draw better it I had nothing know. to do with their books I... or philosophy it was who could draw trees somehow i Breaking doubt this it. right open <laughs> <laughs> sketch off uh, so when he meets Edith, uh, Edith is a woman three years older than him. Uh, she's a Protestant, uh, and his guardian forbids them from being together. Uh, in oh, fact, his priest I know his priest approved disapproves so much that he threatens to take away his education if he chases after her. Can you take away education after you've gotten it? I, I feel like that you'd have to hit someone on the head. <laughs> I probably phrased that poorly. It's just get take him out of school. Oh, okay, got it. Okay, just, I'm making sure the priest wasn't going to hit him. But uh, but on his 21st birthday, uh, he reaches back out to her six years later. She's engaged to someone else, and she breaks it off, says yes to Tolkien, converts to being a Catholic, and they get married despite the fact that he's broke and he'll probably get killed in the war. Um, but in addition to religion, his family would have a, a massive impact on his creative writing life uh, pushing forward. In fact, one just to look up his son, you have to look up Christopher, who would largely be responsible for a lot of his father's work getting out there. Tolkien puts off enlisting for as long as he can, um, and it's longer for than what's considered to be socially appropriate. Uh, he caves to peer pressure uh, and goes in, and it it doesn't go well because you know it's it's war. He's in he's in combat. He's infested with lice. He gets trench fever at one point, uh, and most of his battalion, so so most of his friends over there are actually killed in battle. No wonder he wanted to be fashionably late. Yes. <laughs> yes, no, you know, he's, he spends the rest of the war in, in the hospital, actually, on yeah. garrison duties. Uh, and medically, he's not able to fight anymore. Um, but it's here during his recovery. Uh, and again, back to the celebrated authors who get a major injury and it drives their work. Uh, he starts writing. You know, he never finishes this work during that time. It's, it's a book about mythology in England. Um, but he leaves the military in 1920, a lieutenant. Um, now, keep in mind, this is a lot that happens in just five years, right? He he graduates from Oxford in 1915. He leaves the military after seeing all that hell in 1920. It is it is a lot. Uh, and his first civilian job is working for the dictionary, uh, where apparently he labored over the W words. That was his, like, his section. Um, I mean, the dictionary is a fantastic place to work for a writer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Just improving that vocabulary uh, for someone like Tolkien, who was so immersed in language and like inventing language. I mu it must have been amazing. Uh, when he's there, he's the youngest uh, staff member at the University of Leeds. Uh, his work there becomes standard academic work for decades to come. Uh, he tutors at women's colleges. He makes waves with uh, Beowulf scholarship that's still influential now. Uh, he undertook a translation um, of a story that his son would complete uh, and publish uh, after his death. And guess who he meets during this time? C.S. Lewis. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, oh, oh duh. That, that was, <laughs> I that was, was going to say Bob oh, Ross. That wasn't softball, but no. <laughs> Wait, try again. So try again. Do it again. So, so guess who he meets during this time? Uh, Mr. Rogers. Oh my God, Bob Ross. Shoot. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God, you too. C.S. Lewis. Oh, an oh. Irish nerd. 
<laughs> an Irish nerd who overcomes a rough childhood, uh, moves to England and uses his academic gifts to become a professor and one of the most prolific and influential writers of his time, uh, and is randomly convinced to become a Christian and makes an entire career out of that. So he wasn't born a Christian. No, no, actually, yeah, the, the, he uh, he converted, uh, and he's born. Oh, wait, it's that time again. Just like you had to guess J.R.R.'s name. What does C.S. stand for? Fran, you're up. Um, he also went by Jack among his friends. I'm gonna go with Codswall of Sassafras. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was like Cookie Sheet. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Cookie Sheet Lewis. <laughs> Oh, that's that's definitely the name of a famous pastry chef. Oh my goodness! Well, his name is Clive Staples Lewis, which yeah, sounds like the name of a bass my player. Name too. Yeah. Yes, it's like a bass player in a '90s ska band, um, or like a record executive. Um, so yeah, has to go by C.S. Lewis. Uh, in in Ireland in 1898. He's baptized in the Church of England. Uh, when the family dog was killed, he was four years old. Uh, he took the dog's name, Jaxie, uh, which he went by among his friends for the rest of his life. He went by Jack with his crew of pals. It's very Indiana Jones. Absolutely. <laughs> they so, named the dog after C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So, uh, so as a kid, he's very interested in fantasy stories and anthropomorphic characters. Uh, he's schooled by private tutors until his mom dies when he's nine, and he's sent away to boarding school. Uh, he never gets on with his father. Uh, and you're probably seeing some comparisons to Tolkien here. Mother passes away. Father's not in the picture. Uh, in Tolkien's case, mm -hmm. his father died. But, you know, still, uh, there's private tutors. There's teaching. There's religion. Uh, he was a sickly kid um, and dropped his religious beliefs and became an atheist when he was 15. He was interested in the occult, in Celtic mysticism, got interested in Scandinavian culture, nature, poetry, mythology. So would, the, would you call this his goth period? <laughs> I was like, this is the wildest origin story for a, a, a minister I've ever heard. He just sort of got it all out of his system, didn't he? He, yeah. I, if Hot Topic was around, C.S. Lewis, 15-year-old C.S. Lewis would be in that shop. Did oh I, did I blow, did I blow the reveal? Was that a spoiler? No, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So so where did Tolkien go that influences writings about Middle Earth? Switzerland. Uh, now, Switzerland isn't one of the Nordic countries, but still, you know, he travels Tolkien. in Europe. Hmm? You said Tolkien. We were talking about C.S. Lewis, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But Tolkien, Tolkien also oh, uh, oh, just sets it, around it. in like a yeah, close by place. You're um, trying to weave the threads very closely here, Eric. And, and, <laughs> and, and Chris and I are still fascinated by the idea of C.S. Lewis being like, freedom! <laughs> oh, yeah. To be honest with you, I'm imagining C.S. Lewis listening to The Cure and smoking cloves. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a perfect image. Going to have to get an illustrator on that one. A man bun uh, and nose ring. C.S. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> never gonna so, that's, uh, now i if i think of it you have to think of it too that's it no i have that locked in now <laughs> <laughs> so uh so around the time tolkien's graduating in 1916 uh lewis gets a scholarship to oxford tolkien's place uh he's not in love with england he misses his countryside of ireland he's he's legitimately mad that everyone doesn't love william butler yates as much as he does um so he actively <laughs> seeks out I, I mean, is that really his problem with the English? He's mad. He's mad. <laughs> like, I, I think an I some an Irish person might have some other problems with the English, <laughs> especially around this period. <laughs> but it's also interesting that he's like so riled up about this because, like, Yeats writes about Christianity a lot in his poetry uh, and how he became an atheist in his youth. But he also wrote a lot about war, so there's some little little duology there for for the two of these. Um, let me see. And oh, and speaking of uh, when Tolkien finishes his study and joins the war, uh, Lewis joins the training corps in 1917, finds himself drafted in a battalion. He's shipped off to France to fight on his birthday. Uh, and much Oof. like Tolkien, he saw some really horrible things over there. He's wounded about a year in, loses all sense of uh, morale and is shipped back home uh, shortly after. Um, Happy birthday to Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Uh, and there, there's a there's a there's a quote here from Yeats uh, where it says, uh, "Like I know that I shall meet my fate somewhere among the clouds above. Those I fight, I do not hate. Those I guard, I do not love." 
an Irish, an Irish airman foresees his death by Yates. So uh, I see where, you know, he got those uh, close vibes from, from that poet. Um, wholesome fact here, though, while in training, uh, he meets Patty Moore, who quickly becomes a dear friend. Let me guess. Patty is also Irish. Patty is also Irish. A creative bunch here. <laughs> they vowed to take care of each other's family uh, if either died in battle. Patty did die, and Lewis lives up to the promise. Uh, he lives with and takes care of Patty's mom, Jamie Moore, until the late 1940s, routinely introducing her as his mother. Uh, she was 26 years older, but reportedly she was very attractive. So people thought they were lovers when they were walking around. So this oh. went from like really touching to kind of weird. Eh, it's weird for other people. Not not for him. Like she uh, she was old when she got older. She ended up growing and getting dementia. He visited her every day until she died. Oh, so like yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. Good guy that Lewis. Um, but now he's back at Oxford after the war. Uh, he wins the highest honors in three areas of study. He gets a prestigious academic job at Oxford and at Cambridge. And now it's time for our boys to meet. Uh, it's kind of funny. Like I, like, I feel like we went on a little bit more about Tolkien's early life as opposed to Lewis. And that's not because we favor one over the other. Maybe we do, but uh, Tolkien was a good <laughs> six years older. <laughs> He's a little older than Lewis. He had a more intense life as a youth. Um, by the time they meet up, you know, Tolkien's already married. He's had his own secret societies and written languages. He's working on the dictionary. So he has a little bit going on. And he's um, been bitten by more spiders. Bitten by more spiders. Uh, his, his life has, uh, I don't know, he, he's lived a little bit more than Lewis has. And, and Lewis's life takes off a bit more after uh, the two of them come together. Um, after all, it's Tolkien who actually brings Lewis back into Christianity, uh, something that fractures their friendship and, and sends him into the pursuit of what he writes. Um, I don't know, I would argue that like Tolkien kind of like jumpstarts uh, his his life in uh -oh. a way, you know? Uh -oh. Like, uh -oh. CS Lewis fans are going to blow up the inbox. Going to get some emails? Is that, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> oh, you are. And uh, yeah, they meet in this very boring fashion. You hear you the Pevensies sharpening their knives right now. <laughs> but they meet in this boring fashion, despite this legendary writing circle the two of them become a part of. Um, it's it's at like an Oxford faculty meeting, right? Um, they had a ton in common, you know, as we've been saying. Uh, they connected over all of it almost immediately. They were discussing commas. <laughs> commas. That's oh, right. The Oxford, Oxford comma, comma is joke. That well, Oxford Ooh. comma versus Cambridge comma, probably at that is point. A, oh, there is no such thing as the Cambridge comma. That is a different rivalry that never happened. Oh, boy. These are some deep grammatical cuts that <laughs> I am here for. And I am deeply, deeply ashamed. <laughs> so, but yeah, they have a shared interest in poetry, literature, myth, escapism, their, their losses in World War One, being orphaned as kids. Uh, they both have a distaste for contemporary culture and don't think books after 1832 should be taught. Uh, oh they both my drive. god. Yes, they are, <laughs> they, they would are fit right in. Besties. Yeah. <laughs> they would fit right in. So instant besties, uh, also they, instant They were partners. cool before being cool was cool, is what yeah. you're saying. Absolutely. So they were definitely like beret, beret wearing hipsters of their time. <laughs> the man <laughs> and the nose ring. I'm curious, Fran, do you have a writer friend who you <laughs> met in a wildly boring way and everyone's always like, how'd you meet so-and-so? And it's just like, oh, like at a convention, like, are, do you have any, any pals like that? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I, I've, I've met a couple friends on panels where I've said something that I thought was just like boring and inconsequential. And, and we ended up like at a table in a restaurant after the panel arguing for hours and we're still friends and oh, I love yeah that. Um, that actually the crack about um paradise lost being ya biblical fanfic is what got me one of uh my weirder <laughs> longer longer long-standing friendships with chris paolini actually because we were arguing about milton for like two hours after that i love that ya why <laughs> a biblical fanfic? Yeah, if you want to fill your your inbox with letters, just put that on the the out the outtakes because <laughs> that will get you some. It has gotten me some comments over the years, but I I stand by <laughs> it. It's true. 
That's so much nicer than most of the way I've met most of my friends, which um, I have bad memory, so I don't remember how I met them. So eventually I have to sit down with them and we, we neither of us usually remember. So we end up making up a story. I don't I really remember how jealous. I met you, Chris. Honestly. That's right. So we're going to have to sit down and make always up a story. Always been friends. I, I'm yeah, that's correct. We've always been friends. Always. No, I'm good with that. So many of my writer friend stories are, oh, we met on Twitter. So th- this is, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little jealous of, of, of Tolkien and Lewis's uh, introductions here. Um, so they become each other's first real readers, um, which yeah, is probably a slight mistake. Um, Tolkien's dabbling in poetry and, and writing, and so is Lewis. Um, but they weren't really sharing their work or chasing down publication just yet. Uh, Lewis joins Tolkien's critique group. Uh, an organization dedicated to reading Norse and Icelandic sagas, which uh, sparks interest in making their own myth. Uh, of course. Definitely the football players. The sp- <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the football players of uh, Oxbridge there. Oh, yes. And uh, and this is where they end up starting their famous writing circle uh, that so many authors wish they had. The Inklings. Uh, there are books written about this writing group. That's how powerful it is. Um, most writing groups these days get together a handful of times and explode. Uh, and while some of the Inklings might not be top of mind household name writers, they all had a pretty large impact on the literary world. Um, a lot of the books focus on some of the most famous of the groups. Um, I, I highly recommend checking out The Inklings by Philip Zelensky and Carol Zelensky, which digs into the history of Tolkien and Lewis, uh, along with Owen Barsfeld and Charles Williams, members of the group, uh, included Tolkien's son, Christopher um neville uh coghill who translated the canterbury tales and fantasy author er edison and more uh there are a lot of critics and scholars in the group too tolkien described the double meaning of the inklings as a name for people of vague or half-formed uh intimidations and ideas plus those who dabble in ink Mm -hmm. Uh, They would regularly meet at the Eagle and Child Pub, also known as the Bird and the Baby, uh, where they drank and shared their writing every Tuesday morning from 1939 to 1962. It's a a miracle that this is the only rivalry that came out of this. No, there had to be more. There was definitely people throwing pints left and right. Right? Every Tuesday morning from 1930. Like, how long was your longest critique circle? Have you had one that lasted... Jesus. 25 minutes. <laughs> That's just such a long amount of time. I, I am I am stunned. So the critique group helped their writing and launched their careers. Um, no women were involved in the group. Um, that was, that and, was, and that was a deliberate decision. Oh, that was Did they even try and explain why? Yes. Apparently, according to um, one of the books on the Inklings, and, and I was curious about this because you know, there were so many, the, the, the round table in New York was um, at, you know, had both women and men and, and lots of literary battles because Dorothy Parker didn't, never met a fight that she wouldn't engage in. Um, but yeah, no, they, they consciously did this because they wanted to promote male friendship. And probably well, drinking it too. Sweet, at, but also drinking, drinking yes. at ten in the morning at, at the Eagle and Child <laughs> also probably had a part in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a lovely quote from one of the books here um, from from Lewis's biographer. Uh, da, 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 where is it? Oh, many hours were spent wreathed in pipe smoke, drinking beer, discussing and debating, uh, and developing the now endangered art of male friendship, which Fran just talked about, uh, which Tolkien went on to champion in the Lord of the Rings characters, Frodo and Sam. The ultimate bros. The ultimate bros. Uh, he modeled his walking, talking tree character of Treebeard after Lewis's booming oratorical voice. Uh, Lewis probably based Dr. Ransom, a uh, philologist from Out of the Silent Planet, on Tolkien. Um, it is no exaggeration to say that Lewis would become the chief midwife to the Lord of the Rings, uh, writes the biographer in uh, in the book A Life. Okay, um, given however, that neither one of them had probably ever been in a birth room, that is a really wild, <laughs> wild <laughs> metaphor. Listen, I'm just... Both you, of you these were men were, working, were, were building fantasies of their own, and I'm sure they had an idea of what it might be in the birthing room. We don't but know it was what definitely, happened. But it was but definitely it involved, wrong. But it involved a lot of screaming. So, okay. 
With uh, Tolkien, cries at the end. Gotcha. Got it. With Tolkien, it was probably spiders. <laughs> the spiders, always spiders. Oh no. Oh goodness. So, however, in 1939. <laughs> 1939 uh charles williams joins the inklings uh and my dude changes the dynamic Uh, yes he quickly becomes lewis's new best friend and drives a wedge uh that they never quite recover from even after uh williams's death uh when lewis leaves oxford for cambridge in 1954 that's pretty much a wrap on their friendship um but why like what happens here uh, so to understand the breakup tension between our two besties, we need a quick aside with Charles Williams. Um, his most popular novels were uh, Descent into Hell, which is a supernatural thriller involving a succubus, doppelgangers, ghosts, and other wild beings, uh, and All Hallows' Eve, which explores the lives of two women after they've died. These sound awesome. I haven't read these. <laughs> but also you forgot his awesome. lesser known, ha ha, I got your best friend to be my best friend, and now he's your former best friend novel oh that sounds like the best one oh, of the yes. trilogy <laughs> and then There's the, the sequel to that is buddy you're ghosted buddy you're ghosted <laughs> So there's there's a lot of death here in his supernatural books, um, but a core theme we're hit with in all of his novels is selfishness and sin. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to dig into Williams' life so much because he's I don't know, he's not that interesting. Um, but his theology is interesting. Um, he creates the concept of something known as uh, co-inheritance. Uh, that in the complicated connections we navigate in our day-to-day, whether it's romantic or economic, religion is always at the core. Jesus is always there leading the way. The world only functions as a result of the web that blends uh, our day-to-day to God. Um, and when it comes to the books Williams wrote, all of them had this concept at the core of all the stories. And Lewis is quoted as saying, He is writing that sort of book in which we begin by saying, let us suppose that this everyday world were, at one point, invaded by the marvelous. Uh, Tolkien helped Lewis uh, decide to abandon being atheist and become Christian, uh, but was dismayed when Lewis picked uh, the Church of England after meeting um, our buddy here, uh, our buddy here, Williams. Um, He says, I have a quote here from one of his letters. Ah, the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as others. But with the tremendous difference is that it really happened, Lewis wrote in a letter to one of his friends. Uh, However, as Lewis moves further and further into Christianity and it starts to dig into his own work, more tensions uh, start to mount here because Tolkien didn't like the religious messages of Narnia, which, I mean, that's... That's Lewis's jam, his Narnia, so not liking his body of work is, is, is a bit of a problem. Yeah, and to be fair, also Philip Pullman's jam as well, not uh-huh. liking it as well. Yeah. So uh, first he the- much sort of iconographic, I, I, wow, how do words work? Um, iconographic embedding of lessons and, and mm. consequences, and I didn't think about Williams being that guy that sort of drove that until now and now I oh you boy pushed pushed that little wedge in there yeah Uh, so first Tolkien thought the Christian themes and messages were far too strong Uh, he didn't approve of the way Lewis seemed to beat the reader with all these symbols (laughs) Like Asla and the lion sacrificing his life and being resurrected for a battle against evil. You know, spoiler alert, by the way. I literal the cat know how this happened. <laughs> uh, and That's while Tolkien's own books have Christian themes. He would not. <laughs> <laughs> and while Tolkien's own books have Christian themes, he worked he worked hard to bury them but you know he he wanted them to not distract it didn't seem like they were the the main purpose yes i think the main purpose was he wanted to write more things in elvish yeah (laughs) possibly but also he was he was unpacking his um he was unpacking war and the impact of war and you know his horrible horrible racism but that Aside, I mean, if I'm gonna knock, uh, yes. I get to knock Tolkien too. So no, you can. Oh, absolutely, equal knocks both sides. <laughs> uh, knocks for thing, all. So another thing that that Tolkien sort of sort of 
struggled with Lewis about was uh, his choice to marry uh, a woman named Joy Davidman, uh, a divorced woman. Uh, and so he hadn't even been invited to the wedding. Uh, he found out they were getting married after it happened. Yes, drama. Uh, and once he got together with Joy, his priorities shifted a lot. He pulled away from the Inklings. Um, a little bit about Joy. She was divorced from an alcoholic and abusive husband. She and Lewis vibed on intellect. Uh, they entered a civil marriage so she could stay in the country. Uh, they got Christian married in 1957 when she was diagnosed with terminal bone cancer. She dies in 1960. He continues to care for her sons. He wrote a book about grief under a pen name. C.S. Lewis seems to be a very caring yes. and giving person. Yeah. Very specifically, like the others around him. Like we learn about the the uh the, the mother of uh his his friend. Oh my god, he has the his friend Patty back in the war who mm -hmm. he takes care of and he yeah. uh marries this woman when she's when she's dying and, and takes care of her and takes care of her kids. Like so service is Lewis's love language. I mean, it certainly seems so, yeah. right? Like, yeah, caretaking, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So this marriage adds another wedge to the friendship, even though the, the marriage didn't last long, it ended pretty tragically. So I don't know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm shifting away from Tolkien's side on this one. This is, this is, mm -hmm. this is not great. Uh, so Tolkien and Lewis disagree on other things as well. Uh, they disagree on literary taste. Uh, Tolkien admitted that Narnia was, quote unquote, outside the range of my sympathy, uh, as much of my work was outside of his. Uh, he mm -hmm. found Lewis's letters to Malcolm uh, a distressing and in parts horrifying work. Uh, and he gently accused his buddy Jack of recycling Middle-earth nomenclature for his own stories. Wow. Oh, oh, that is real close to, plagiarism? I'll see you outside, bucko. Yes. <laughs> Do you think during one of the Inklings meetings, somebody got stabbed in the hand with a fountain pen? Or someone had to flip the table at some point, right? Like Not that. I'm sure that a bottle of ink was gingerly opened and placed back inside someone else's satchel. Oh yeah, absolutely. That 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 was the ultimate diss. <laughs> Just walking home, leaking ink all over the cobblestones. Yeah. He said Lewis's writing was creaking and stiff-jointed and suggested it was unoriginal, saying Lewis was a very impressionable man. Uh, so things are not going well, well here, critique group. Somebody's that, that got a true. lot of hurt feelings they're working out. Mm -hmm. That's true, but also at the same time, I kind not of get wrong. it because Lewis being yeah. impressionable, Tolkien brought him into Christianity and mm -hmm. um, what was his name? Wallace? Williams? Williams. Williams. Uh, Williams really profoundly impacted Lewis's writing. So I think yeah. it's a fair assessment. It's not necessarily an insult or a dig. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. So, so things are so things things get so tense in the critique group that Lewis doesn't even present his writings anymore, um, which is probably good because Tolkien is uh, quote unquote skeptical of the deaf. Uh, in his book, McGrath notes that Tolkien thought Father Christmas didn't belong uh, in the world he was writing, uh, and suspected Lewis had borrowed some of his own ideas again and woven them into Narnia without due acknowledgement. So all that said, these two drift apart. Um, and, you know, they, this wasn't a case of old friends becoming, like, legitimate enemies. Like, we talked about Wells and James in our last episode, where, like, they, it was, like, a legit, they were enemies at the end of their lives. And we're going to talk about some other authors who fight actual duels with one another. Um, but, you know, they just, they fall apart. Their friendship ends. Uh, Lewis dies way before Tolkien, so they never really have a chance to resolve the beef. Um, despite the falling out, Tolkien always gave full credit to Lewis for the fact that Lord of the Rings even came to be. Uh, he said, but for his interest and unceasing eagerness for more, I should have never brought uh, the Lord of the Rings to a conclusion, uh, Tolkien said to Rainer Unwin in 1965. So at least he admits that oh, of course. Lewis was at least a part of this. Of course. And he, he grieved the loss of his friend um, in... Uh, 1949, towards the beginning of their unspoken fallen out, uh, Lewis actually writes to Tolkien. He says, I miss you very much. Uh, and upon Lewis's death in 1963, on the same day John F. Kennedy was killed. This was a conspiracy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tolkien was moved to write to his daughter Priscilla uh, that Jack's passing felt like an axe blow near the roots. 
Uh, so these were two men who loved each other quite a bit, uh, but whose taste in writing style and choices caused them to drift apart, uh, whose critiques broke them down. And, you know, I think there's a lesson on all of that. You know, you can create astonishing work uh, if you take criticism, but, you know, be gentle with the feedback you give. It's not worth shattering a friendship over. Although I would certainly argue that their friendship was shattered over a, a, some other key things as well. Such I'm as... trying to shatter our friendship over this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. Uh, so, friend, I have to ask you now, you know, that we've gone over this. Do you take a side in this rivalry here? Um, you know, or... I mean, I I, I have a, a soft place in my heart for both the fiction of C.S. Lewis and the fiction of J.R.R. Tolkien. I did um, happen to read some of the, you know, more academic writings of both at one point, and I found that Tolkien was much more accessible to me at the time that I was reading mm. them. But as you tell the story and as we see the human side of this relationship, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by both of them again. So this podcast has really sort of reinvigorated both individuals beyond sort of the author as character level to their, mm -hmm. that you've, you've humanized them again. Thank you very much. Um, oh I'm, I'm going to come down sort of in the, I am um, the only person that I and sort of eyebrowing right now in the whole thing is Charles Williams because <laughs> there's something weird there. You, That's all. I feel like he was whispering things in his ear, you know, just like he's suspicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, highly suspicious, highly. He was messy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, don't, I don't feel like. Yeah, I think, and and that sense of loss too. That you know, I miss you very much. They, the, it is rare that you have a friendship that is that intense and um, intense in so many ways. And I think it is valuable and it is sort of a life marker and not to be able to say goodbye is hard. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you want to hear about the AO3 fanfic? Oh, I don't know that goodness. there is, yes. I don't know that there is any such thing for C.S. Lewis though that is the thing <laughs> so now i have to i'm i'm absolutely positive that there's fanfic about narnia um because that's what we're going to talk about actually not tolkien um ao3 and i'm positive that there is quite a bit to be said about various inhabitants of the shire in ao3 but um <laughs> we're not going to get into that either the this is um there someone when I was running cooking the books which is what came up at the beginning um I had the occasion to interview so many people and I loved it but people started sending me food fanfic from AO3 and one of the best things I ever got was a link to a piece of um just the most exquisite writing um called Anthony Bourdain Goes to Narnia and it is a retelling from Anthony Bourdain's point of view of being drunk under the table by a mouse. And um, the mouse is winning. <laughs> it's, it's, and the camera crew's filming it. And it's great. They're all, you know, jammed into a tree somewhere trying to have a food <laughs> episode. And it's this sounds scary. like an astonishing work of genius. It is. It is. And the writer is, 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 is a genius. And this was magnificent. But now I am um, driven to see if I can't find something similar because that was the that's the thing that didn't come up here, and this is something that the Inklings were known for. These two guys wrote fantastic food into their fiction, both mm, of them. Yeah, I mean the food in Narnia is central to a couple of things in the plot. You know, number one being the feasts that they have at you know the beaver's house and the farm. I always remember the Turkish delight in Lion Witch oh, and the yeah. Wardrobe. Well that is the biggest food lie in fantasy right there is this Turkish delight situation. Um because it's an adult <laughs> food eaten by a child who wants to be an adult and so complicated. Like this is this is sort of the the fairy tale apple but it's Turkish delight. And C.S. Lewis experiments with that over and over again, but so does Tolkien. If you look at food in The Hobbit and in Lord of the Rings and when feasts happen and how they happen and what is served. It's amazing. And these 
guys and the Inklings used to have banquets where they would try all sorts of wild foods and different things. And I can imagine that all of that kind of died when Charles Williams or whatever his name is came Mm. along because he seems like a killer of fun. He does seem like a buzzkill. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And now I'm really, really looking forward to someone writing a Guy Fieri Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives review of Westeros. (laughs) 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 Oh, donkey sauce at the Red Wedding. Great. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Oh, goodness. Well, friend, where can people who are listening to this podcast uh, find you and, and what you've been up to recently? Oh, well, you can find me at franwild.net um, and also on Instagram um, at fran underscore wild. And I'm on Blue Sky. Is that what we're calling it? Um, yeah. I'm on Blue Sky at, as I think fran underscore wild, too. I try and keep it keep it sort of similar. Um, I also have a Patreon, which I rarely talk about. I often forget to talk about, which is uh, Fran Wild at Patreon. And um, people can see my drawings and my sketches. And occasionally I will remember to talk about my books. Um, I have (laughs) a, (laughs) I just have a couple out this year because I've been doing some pretty silly things at academia. But um, the last book in the Gem World series came out in June. And I'd had a fabulous time launching that with you, Eric. That was amazing. Um, that was the Book of Gems. It is an academic uh, rivalry, actually, with with a serious beef involved, which is amazing. Um, and and there's a lot of uh, vengeance and spite. And I, I loved writing it. Um, I have a couple short stories come that came out this year. The the uh, rain remembers what the sky forgets is a historical fantasy at uncanny magazine and i have some uh, short fiction coming out with mit press next year in an anthology that hasn't been announced yet and then some exciting things on the horizon that i can't talk about as 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 we say in the biz (laughs) well awesome well thank you for coming fran this was so much fun i love dishing with you and and hearing all of your interesting facts in here about the food and everything. You're, you're wonderful. Yeah. This is lovely. Thank oh, you, Fran. Thank you. I love being here. All right. And I guess we will wrap up, but yeah. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to... All right. Uh, thanks for tuning into Arch Penemies. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. You don't have a stinger for this one? What are we I doing? Mean, we're we're episode three. three. Imagine having the leaky bottle of ink in your backpack. Yes, I love that. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. See you next time. You're welcome.